Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Father, we thank you for today. And God, we believe in what you're doing here. Not what you're doing in the church per se, but what you're doing in the lives of the people who are filling these chairs and these pews. God, that we're not focused on the collective as much as we are focused on the individual today. And God, I thank you that whoever and wherever people are and whatever their background or upbringing is, that they recognize that you are a God of the individual just as much as you are a God of the corporate. God, we turn away from this idea that this is a collective, even though it is, and rather we lean into the personal relationship, the fact that you have placed a good work in every single person in this room that you want to see come to completion. God, I thank you that you have intrinsically wired people to bring your glory in this room today, and this year, God, may we believe in what you can do. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. man, just so you guys know, not preaching three services on a Sunday is like, I just save everything for this one. Some of you guys are like, what does that mean? Don't worry, you'll find out. Oh, anyway, also my mother-in-law's here again, which means it's open season. <laughs> oh, she's like, I hate you so much. <laughs> Anyway, I want to talk about something today, and I'm calling it fist-sized future. Now, typically what we do here at Fixate is I I kind of blend a little bit of exegetical as well as topical. And so what that means is is at some points we'll be going, usually we'll take a few months and focus on one book. Sometimes we'll take different topics and focus on different topics. And I know different people have different ideas of kind of what they like. But what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is focusing on um, different, what I'm calling kind of passion preaching. Because when we start a good, when we start a new year, it's easy to be like, all right, man, New Year's revolution, Jesus, right? It's like bumper sticker, Jesus 2024. It's like, like, man, when we start a new year, it's like, okay, man, we're going to be, I'm locking, I'm reading my Bible 62 times in a week. I'm going to kneel and pray 42 times in one day. What's again, he's book of world records. Let's kneel and pray. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, Right, it's like I am going to, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to go to everything. I'm going to do it. And it's like three weeks in, you're like, I'm exhausted. I'm not doing this. Let's start it again. 2025, Jesus bumper sticker. Um, but like I said, what I'm going to be focused on the next few weeks is this, this I kind of these passion teachings in hopes that we buy into the belief that Jesus isn't just worth one year. He's not just worth a resolution. He's not just worth the hope that he can do something in our lives and and ultimately we can become someone, but rather he is worth our entire lives revolving around. See, what I love about these next few teachings is it's essentially what happens when you actually believe. And not just what happens when you actually believe, when you put into practice what you believe and what becomes of what that practice is. And so with that today, like I said, we're going to be talking about fist-sized future. Specifically, we're going to be spending a bunch of time talking about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. But before we do, um, I have a little story for you. 
Um, like I said, me and my wife just had our first child. Her name's Junia. She's here in the back somewhere, probably eating because she's like her dad. I gotta eat. <laughs> But I remember we were, uh, when, we, when my wife was in labor, we were at the hospital and we got there at about 5 a.m. And so we were there most of the day and I realized like halfway through the day I hadn't really eaten. And so naturally, what do I do? I pull out DoorDash or, or no, actually this one was Uber Eats and now I'm DoorDash. You'll understand why after this story. I've got a bone to pick with you, Uber Eats, but it's fine. Um, now, guilty pleasure. I was going to, when, when I transition the service, what we love or from worship to the message, I love asking those little questions. Why? Because I want you guys to talk to people around us, but at the same time, I also want you to find out something weird about somebody. So what I was going to ask you today is like, what is your favorite fast food meal that you wouldn't tell anybody? Which Jason, what was it? What, it's a Taco Bell, what? A Chipotle Ranch grilled chicken burrito. My man was talking to me about it for like five minutes. I kind of got hungry, and then I realized, I'm like, if I just wanted to eat paint thinner, I would. Um, but uh, it's like, isn't Tommy Boy the one where they're like, didn't you eat paint chips growing up as a kid? You didn't? I loved those. So people are like, what's Tommy Boy? I hate you so much. So I'm in the hospital. Some people are like, you get to preach every day? Don't worry I only go for an hour and a half. Um, but I'm in the hospital. I pull up, and guess what? Here's my guilty pleasure. I'm, I pull up door, uh, Uber Eats, and the first thing is a coupon. Buy one, get one free for Popeyes. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. My wife's literally in labor next to me. And I'm like, Grace, I'm like, Grace, I don't know if I can do Popeyes. And she goes, why? You love Popeyes. And I'm like, because I don't know if they're going to give honey with the biscuits. <laughs> Yo, if you eat a biscuit dry, I'm judging you. I don't, even, I don't even care. If the biscuits don't got gravy, they don't got honey, I don't want them. Some people in here are like, man, then you ain't a real biscuit eater. It's like, no, I, believe me, I've eaten my fair share of biscuits. So I remember I'm like, go, like for 45 minutes, I'm like, man, how do I get honey on this order? But at the end of the day, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. So... I order my food, and we're in a huge, uh, we're off of, I don't even remember, my wife would know the name of the hospital, but we're off of 7th Avenue in Thomas. Um, and I remember my wife, she wasn't like literally pushing, so don't worry, some people are like, wow, you would be that guy. It's <laughs> like, you would. Immediate disrespect points. I'm like, no, believe me, we were still pretty far away from giving birth. We get, she gave birth hours and hours later. And so I remember, I order my food, and as I order my food, I mark the location, and I've done Uber Eats plenty of times, so I mark the location. As he's getting close, I walk out, and it's a decent walk, but I get outside, and I remember I, I get a message, and it's like, hey, I'm here. And I'm, like, looking at my map, and I can see his car, and I'm, like, on the map. I'm like, you're not, you're not here. Like, no, you're not. You're not here with my three-piece chicken meal <laughs> with also a 12-pack of wings. And four biscuits. You are not here. You are not. And I remember I'm like looking, and so I message him back. And he's like taking a while, but his messages, his texts are kind of weird. So I'm like thinking, I'm like, man, this guy's not here at his text. I know he's just sitting here. So I call him. And he picks up the phone, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm right here on the sidewalk, like right around here. And he's like, oh, come to find out he doesn't, he doesn't speak English. And so I'm like, oh, this is not okay. 
So I'm like, so what I can see is in the messaging app, he has Google Translator on it, so Google Translator is translating, and it's not making sense. So finally, I just, I start walking around chasing his car on the map. This is a huge complex. So I see his car, and I, I literally just say, don't move, and I would run to where his car is. Guess what? Gone. So I'm like, and I do three times. I'm like, runner, don't move, run around, gone. Don't move, run around, gone. I'm like, this language barrier, what does don't move mean wherever you're from? Um, so here's the deal. Literally, I, this is where it gets crazy, is I message him finally and I go, listen, just go to the emergency room. Any, every, all of us, right? We understand, emergency room, right? Go to emergency room. He goes, okay. Get a message three minutes later. I'm at urgent room. I said, I said, no, emergency room. I'm at urgent room. Emergency room. I'm at the urgent room. I, I'm like, they are, they are different. Urgent and emergency are not the same. And so here's the best part. Finally, I do an entire loop around. And I'm still tracking his car, doing the sprinting action. This is the most I've ran since literally seventh grade middle school. I'm not kidding. I ran track in seventh grade, was decently good at it, and then was like, why would anybody do this for fun? Uh, but the best part is, finally, at the very end, I have ran the entire, I'm sweating. I'm like, my gosh, my wife could be delivering our children right now. And, and all I'm thinking about is just, can I get some biscuits with honey? And finally, literally, I get a message. Hey, have to leave. Dropped at desk. I'm like, what? I, so guess what? Micah just waves the white flag. I walk in, just sweating. <laughs> like, people are just like, what happened? My wife's like, did you get the, no. And I, it's one of those where you just don't talk about it because the pain is so real. <laughs> I like sit down. I'm like, okay, I've got two granola bars and this like really old, I don't know what it was, beef stroganoff. I think I texted Sean that actually. I had like this hospital beef stroganoff and like this little plate and it was terrible, but I, I made it work. But the reason I tell you that, some people are like, that was the longest story of my life. Um, the reason I tell you that, though, is how many of us have had that experience where the communication feels off? Or should I say it like this? How many of us have had that experience with God where the communication feels off? Where we're telling him one thing and it's not happening. And we're telling him another thing, not happening. Another thing. Still not happening. And you feel like you're running your life everywhere, not getting what you've asked, wondering what he's doing and how he's doing, because everything you've ever pursued is not working out. And I want to say, I say that to you today because I feel like this story is an interesting insight. But more than that, today I want to challenge you around the perception of your future and how you're communicating it. Because what I see a lot of the times in church is this, is we come into the church and what we do is we communicate our heart's desires, we communicate the superficial wants of our need, of our life, we communicate this culture mashup of kingdom and culture in which it's, God, I want more things, I want more stuff, I want more blessing, I want more, and God's like, okay, I want more character development, I want more seek first the kingdom and righteousness and trust that I'll take care of the rest, I want more of you releasing the bitterness and the unforgiveness, and the communication is off because what we've been trained to do is come to God like he's a genie in a bottle come to God like he's he's happiness insurance and what happens is is we're chasing each other 
And what I want to challenge you on today is this, is the belief that if you chase God and the things of him more than any of the things you might think that you need, he's the supplier and the satisfier of your soul. And some of us, we've been communicating things that God's wondering, man, why? Like, I, yes, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not going to do that because I care about you. You know how many people that God, that I'm just, you know how many times I should say this in my life, I'm so happy God didn't give me what I wanted, but gave me what I needed. Get it conversate, whether those were conversations, relationships, or even sucky circumstances that taught me lessons that I needed to learn. And so often what we want is we don't want any of what it takes to develop. But man, we love the frosting on the cake. And so today as we talk about this story, I pray that you're assessing your communication with God. And if the things that you're asking God for your 2024 are actually things that he wants to give you and wants his glory to be found in, or are they just things that you're like, man, my life would be better if I had this. So today, let's lean into this story together. And then afterwards, you can go get Popeye's. Anyway, you know, normally I spend a lot of times kind of uh, in, in the particular passage, but today I'm going to be br- briefly going over what happens in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 um, in the very beginning. Now, we're going to be reading specifically verses 41 through 46, but in that kind of beginning part, it gives this huge story. And the story is this, in the Old Testament, men who heard from God just incredibly were called prophets. They were those who carried messengers, and what you find if you study scripture in the Old Testament is a lot of the times they didn't have good things to say. Why? Because the people were so disobedient that they were having to say, hey, if you keep going this way, this is what's going to happen. See, a lot of us, we think Old Testament God is a mad God, a judgmental God. No, what he is is a jealous God. What do I mean by that? If you had a child that every single time you told him something, it did the exact opposite, what would you do? Communicate the consequences of the choice they were making. That's all the Old Testament is. Why? Because the Israelites were the most disobedient people for some reason. I mean, no offense, if I got liberated from slavery for 400 years and watched as God led me by a cloud in the day and a pillar at night and then opened up a sea that I walked through that then destroyed the most mighty military on the face of the planet, I would just say, okay, God, I'll just do whatever you want. How is it that these people just couldn't do that. So Elijah is one of the most famous guys who shows up. And in showing up, one of the things that he says is he says this, he says, guys, here's the deal. If you're going to be disobedient and wicked, then it's not going to rain. Now in this day and age, if it doesn't rain, we kind of just figure out a way around it. Back then, that's not really how it worked. If it didn't rain, that meant that your, that your crops couldn't grow. That means that your, and if the ground couldn't grow, that means your animals couldn't eat. And if your animals couldn't eat, your crops couldn't grow, and you didn't have water to drink, guess what happens? Death. Amen. So Elijah shows up and he says, hey, I've got a word from God. Listen, Ahab and Jezebel, you guys are wicked. You've been leading the nation away from God. And so from now on, it's not going to rain. So what happens? It doesn't rain. It doesn't rain for three and a half years. At the end of this three and a half years, what we see is that the people are crying out, wondering why are they living in this cursed land when they have this promise from God? 
So Elijah goes, this is great, perfect opportunity. So what does he do? He challenges the prophets of Baal, which is the deity they were worshiping at the time, to a duel. And the duel is this, they'll both build altars and whatever God responds with fire will ultimately, the fire will fall on that altar and then that altar will be burned up. Whatever's on that altar will show who the true God is. So he, as a gentleman, lets Baal, the prophets of Baal go first and it says that they cried out and and struck their flesh with stones and did all this weird cultish thing and what happened? No fire. But then Elijah, as, as we know in the story, if you've never read it, he cries out to God and it says that he digs a trench. And one of, I think, the most overlooked aspects of the story is he said he digs a trench and then he tells the people to fill the trench with water. The very thing they're crying out to God for, he's like, listen, I'm going to fill this altar with water. So if fire comes, it's going to destroy everything. I find it interesting that they were worried about water. He was supplying fire, and the fire that he was supplying could burn up everything on the ground. Almost a symbolism of, hey, if you pursue this, he takes care of all of this. So what happens? Elijah cries out, and as he cries out, fire falls, absolutely eats up the altar, laps up all the water, and guess what? The people immediately look around and go, man, we've been worshiping the wrong God proceeding to kill all of the other prophets, repent of their sin, and turn back to God. There's only one problem, though. There's still no rain. See, see, he had promised them, hey, you know, let's I'm gonna show you that God is, you know, he's real. So God is real, but the very thing they needed. See, they knew God was real, but the reason they were even asking where God was was because of their circumstance. Should I say it like this? How many of us, we know God is real, but the only time we pursue him is when circumstances dictate that we need to pursue him because outside of our strength, we are in trouble. That's this story. Hey, I need God. The only reason you need God is because you don't have water anymore. How many of us, the only time we need God is when we actually need him to intervene on our behalf because we've tried to control every outcome possible and the outcomes haven't been good. What's sad today is this is the the basics of most conversion, I would say, is when we come to the end of ourselves, the end of our abilities, the end of our interior motives, and just say, okay, God, I don't know, I just need you. It's the greatest place to be, but also the most difficult when you reach for him and only him. So what happens? This is where we're going to pick up the story. Elijah, the people have destroyed the prophets of Baal. The king, Jezebel and Ahab, have went back to the temple and there's still no rain. Elijah has, yes, just destroyed the deity and returned people through repentance back to the ways of Yahweh. But now everybody's waiting for the rain. Let's pick up the story. It says this, 1 Kings 18, 41 to 46. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up, looked, and said, there is nothing. How many of you guys know if you're like, all right, king, go back to the palace because there's a huge storm coming and he just looks outside and it's like an Arizona sky, like nothing there. 
So what does he do? He goes, okay, here's the deal. Then listen to the story. It gets better. There is nothing he said. Go back. And seven times he goes back. It's like, all right, go back. Nothing. All right, comes back. Nothing. All right, go back again. Nothing. All right, come back. There's nothing. All right, go. If I'm the servant, this, this lets you know that this servant's actually pretty dialed. Because if I'd be the servant, I was like, dude, I'm not going back again. You got three times, maybe four, depending on how you ask the fourth time. Not going back again. Let's keep reading. It says this. It came about at the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind. And there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. What I want to talk about today is this. Uh, I'm kind of titling it. Uh, obviously, I said fist-sized faith, but I'm going to give you three points today on how to build fist-sized faith for year 2024. Because what I want to say is this. I believe that we've gotten faith backwards. And what I mean is this, I believe a lot of us, what we're looking for is, is the absolute thunder black storm clouds. And those came, but what it started with was this little cloud the size of a hand. And Elijah had to make this choice, okay, is that what I'm looking for? Do I believe God can do something with that small and insignificant thing? Do I believe that that cloud is the cloud that I've been, that the people have been crying out for for three and a half years? And I say this because what I believe a lot of us do is we cry out for the big things, not realizing that we're communicating to God big things, but he's responding with small. Do you believe in the cloud I'm giving you right now? Do you believe in what you see on the horizon and pursue me in the meantime? Do you believe that I will take care of you no matter what is going to happen? Do you press into me knowing that I can do all things? See, this is what I want to talk about today. How you build fist-sized faith for 2024. The first thing is this. Before you ever see the reins of provision, favor, and promise on your life, there will be a test of if you will keep your head in between your knees when the timing feels off. The response of God to the cries of his children rarely meet our time frames, and that's because he is reframing our existence back to dependency. Faith without dependence is like a car without a transmission. It will run, but it won't get you anywhere. If the only prayer you are praying is for greater independence, don't be surprised if the drought persists. You know, that's what I find interesting today. I, I, I say this because in this particular point right now that we're going to talk about, they're going to leave it on the screen. I can say this in my life the last three years, I have never been more dependent ever. And I've never seen the hand of God's provision and favor on my life ever before at that level of dependence. What am I saying today? I think a lot of us, what we're doing is we pray, pray prayers of God, I want to be more independent instead of God, I'm going to become more dependent and more trusting and more believing and more hopeful and more rooted in because I want things that my hands can't build. 
What am I saying to you today? I think for a lot of us, if we really assess the clouds that we believe can be the end of the drought in our lives, what those clouds really are, or God, make me help me to be more independent where I don't need people, where I don't need you. Think about that. Where I don't need you. Because I think a lot of us, we wouldn't just stand up and say, God, I don't need you. But we pray prayers in hopes that we'll get enough to not have to pray prayers anymore. Let that sink in. We pray prayers to accumulate enough to where we don't have to ask anymore because we think that asking is wrong. No, asking is faith. Dependency is faith. You know, I remember when we first launched our church, I was praying to God. I said, God, and I'll never forget this word. I've shared it a few times. I said, Lord, I was asking specifically for some specific things, and I felt like the Lord whispered in my ear. He said, Micah, I will not allow you to get so far ahead that you no longer need me. How many of us, we want to get so far ahead in life that we don't need God anymore? You know what's sad today is I've seen people get so far ahead that they don't need anymore and then lose it all as God reminds them that he's the thing they need, not the goal that they set in front of themselves. And what's sad today is when we have to learn the lesson of dependency through the pursuit of independence. I want to say something to you today. For some of us, a head between the lives, the knees is the last thing we want. To be prostrated in such a way that God, would you please intervene on my behalf? Would you please help me? Would you please lead me? Would you please keep me safe? Would you please make sure my children are in your ways? Would you please take care of the bills? That's the last thing we want. But I'll say this, that might be the first thing God seeks. And I challenge you today. Because some of us don't want a close relationship. We just want happiness we just want things that we think might make us happy and a head between the knees lifestyle is a life of rhythmic prayer of intaking scripture of prioritizing community and loving our neighbors with rhythms of consistency so if the clouds aren't coming with the rains of our answered prayer we are content Because all that means is we get to spend more time with the one who forms the clouds. How many of us just are angry at God wondering why the clouds haven't dropped the provision, dropped the favor, dropped the blessing, and we're not realizing that that's not the blessing. The blessing is the blessor. And spending more time with him and learning how to be content in him You know, there's a passage of scripture, godliness with contentment is great gain. You know how many people I know who are godly? A lot. You know how many people I know who are content? Where you can sit in a room with them and there's peace. Not that they don't have passion for the future. Not that they don't believe that God is going to do something with their life. Not that they're not looking for the next thing, but rather I'm content in God's timing. Man, how many of us, right, the last thing we want is content, or the first thing we want is God to provide provision, but we don't realize that trusting his timing is developing a muscle of contentment in us that our souls crave. You know how you sense a drought? is when your soul's dry. 
You know how you can trust God's timing? Is when you've watered your soul so much with the living water, drank deeply from the living water, postured your life around the living water, and then what happens? Contentment. Contentment that he is the one who brings forth the fruit that remains, and I would rather have his fruit that remains than the fruit of my own hands. The second thing I have for you today is this. God shows up more in the little things than the big. So often we're looking for huge signs, wonders, and miracles that confirm his grace and favor upon us. But when you train your eyes to believe in the fist-sized, you might come to find out that those become the fondest memories in your life. When you believed something that no one else believed in, when you pursued God even when others said it was a waste, and you experienced a downpour of his presence and promise this year, I pray you train your eyes to the small and that you will experience the Almighty. Man, so often what we do is we're believing, trusting, and these things are all great, but it's all for the biggest things instead of God. Will you teach me in the small? Train my eyes to see the beauty in the small. Be with me in seasons where it doesn't feel like it's the big, but I am trained to be content and look in the beauty of the small things around me. To not rush ahead of the season that I'm currently in. To not look forward to what's going to happen, but look forward to every day that your eyes open. I'm going to share something with you because, and if you want these after, you can message our Instagram or something and I'll send them out. But I pray these prayers over my life every single day. And these prayers are my fist-sized prayers in which they're not connected to consumeristic or superficial appeasement, but they are promises in God's word that I believe that these are fist-sized clouds. See, what you guys don't realize a lot of the times is when we're reading scripture, what we're reading is fist-sized clouds, and we have the choice of, okay, do I believe these things can happen to me? Do I believe that what this says can be something that forms a downpour of presence, provision, and promise in my soul? See, it's not what Micah says. It's not how good the teaching was or the worship was. It's rather, do I believe the clouds that are present right here have the ability to water me and bring fruit that remains in my life? But for me personally, these are seven prayers that I pray. I pray Proverbs 22, one over my life, which is about a good name and favor that is better than silver or gold. I pray that the fist-sized cloud of a good name and favor is what I pursue more than the silver of gold and gold that just reigns that people think is the most important. I pray James 1, 5 for wisdom because his word says, if any of us lack wisdom, God gives it generously and without reproach. If you go in my Bible right now, these things are written in the very front that I pray. The third, I pray God would give the nations of the earth as an inheritance and the ends of the earth as a possession for his glory and his honor. Psalms 2.8, I pray this over our church. Number four, I pray Psalms 5.12. I thank God that it is he who blesses the righteous and it is he who surrounds him with favor as a shield. Number five, I pray fist sides, clouds, prayers over my wife and daughter every single day. Number six, I pray fist sides, prayers over our church that we would be a place of renewal, a place for those that are lost and far from God that they would find him and drink deeply. 
And that God would continue to bring those who would support and serve the vision of Fixate, not for just a season, but as a life's calling. And the seventh thing, Matthew 19, 29, and I call it the many times as much, and this, we'll get into this another time, but I, I, I'm going to get tattooed many times as much. Because it says in Matthew 19, 29, those who leave houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, or mothers on the count of my name will receive many, many more times in this life and in the life to come. I pray that many times as much prayer where I don't know what it is. And I would even say this, for some of us, we're praying super specific prayers and I don't think that's inherently wrong. But I would also say that that's inherently limiting. What do I mean by that? So often we're trying to dictate God's plan with a narrow-minded view instead of us saying, okay, God, I'm just going to pray these basic prayers and trust that this cloud-sized prayer can be something that grows and breaks the drought. What are the fist-sized prayers that you're going to constantly pray over your life in 2024? The last thing I have for you, and then I'm closing right now, number three. You may need to start sounding stupid and looking foolish in order to see the rain. Press into it. Humility is God's character attribute of choice for those who he uses greatly. Often we want to look like we know it all, have it all, and don't need anyone or anything. And this is what causes the drought of our souls. In 2024, may we be people who aren't afraid of what others will say or think, even if it may look foolish. Who knows? It might mean we call a fist-sized cloud a monsoon in the midst of three years of no water. You know what's interesting about this story that I don't think is talked about enough? Is the fact that his friend, is he literally tells his friend, all right, here's the deal, ma'am. You see that fist-sized cloud? Go tell the king. That's the thing. For three and a half years, I bet they'd been seeing clouds pretty often. How many times do you think people went to the king and were like, hey, there's a fist-sized cloud right there. That's, that's the drought breaker. That's the hurricane right there, man. That's going to be the one. That's the downpour. No. Why? Because that would be stupid. Because who would call a fist-sized cloud the thing that would break the drought? See, isn't it funny how faith sometimes gets you to look a little dumb? Faith gets you to say things that others maybe don't believe. Faith gets you to maybe look a little foolish. But man, what happens when that faith is met with God's ability? And I say that to you today. Here's another challenge within this story. What kind of servant was this guy? And what I mean by that is... I I challenge you, the people that are around you. Seven times, he runs back and forth. Then, not after that seven times, he's literally told, go to the king and tell him that tiny cloud is the thing. I'm not going to lie. I want friends around me and people around me that are going to believe that if I'm calling something forward, that they'll stand with me. And if I'm going to look a little dumb, they'll stand right beside me. That if I'm going to believe in something that you're like, I don't know how that's going to work, I'm going to stand with you. See, there are two challenges in this final point that I'm giving you. And the first one is this. I'm okay looking stupid if it means I'm living in full surrendered faith. And the second, I'm going to find people 
who will stand with me if I step out and will push me to step out, hold me accountable and step out, and even communicate on my behalf, even if it makes them look dumb a little. But if it's in full faith, I'll do it. My last thing for you today is this. I want to personally challenge you today or tomorrow. Would you write down and place somewhere you can see often the fist-sized clouds of 2024 you're believing for? What are the things right now that you're like, man, God, I'm just going to pray this promise over my life and believe that that fist-sized cloud can produce something that maybe no one else thinks that it can? I believe that this is at least three things you're believing for God to do or that you will become that will require some face between the knees action. Maybe looking a little foolish faith or a faith that gets some people around you who will believe in you no matter how dumb it sounds. And that from this place there would be an experience of the downpour of presence and promise that he has for you. I challenge you today, what are three clouds this size clouds of your life that when you look out, maybe nobody else would see it, nobody else would believe it, but there's something in your heart that you're like, no, God, I'm going to stand on this. I'm going to stand on this consistently. Believe on this. And it's not just for consumeristic and superficial gain, but it's rather, God, I want nearness, I want provision, and I want fruit that remains. That's the filter. Nearness, proximity, and fruit that remains. Don't pray fist-sized prayers that don't affect anybody but you. Don't pray fist-sized prayers that only means that your bank account gets bigger or your possessions grow. That's how a drought happens. Pray fist-sized prayer that will water the ground of your soil and the soil of those around you. I pray for your fist-sized prayers this, this year and that you would call the clouds. Or should I say you, should, you would call the rain out of the clouds and that you would get your Popeye's meal. Stand to your feet. With nobody, with all of us being present in this, present in this room, can we just open our hands in a symbolic way to receive? some of us this is maybe a foreign thing but it's okay here we just kind of lean into it but the band's just going to give us a couple just maybe one minute I'm going to walk off the stage and they're going to give us a minute to just ask God God what are the things you want for my 2024 what are the fist sized clouds that I'm believing in that I want to posture my life around what is the rhythm of walking with you that I want to implement a little bit of time but in this sanctuary that's why we named this church fixate that definition is to gaze at with unwavering attention and focus unwavering attention and focus that when we come into this room it builds a life that is unwavering in its attention and focus on the creator and that when our eyes are upon that creator the creator creates once again in us that the greatest thing we could do is surrender to a creator who created all 
What would it look like to believe that that creator can create something new in you regardless of the season, situation, or circumstance you find yourself in? See, the God we serve is no favorite, doesn't pick favorites. He doesn't say, all right, Micah, you get to do it. Only you, though. Rather, he finds people whose hearts are postured toward him. Attention unwavering upon him. Lives routinely and rhythmically stewarding time in his scripture and community and with his spirit. Father, I thank you that as we...